0: Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Coffee and Circuses. This week I'm joined by Helen Forte, the illustrator of the Minimus Latin Book series. As many of you will probably know, the Minimus Books are a series aimed at primary and early secondary school children learning Latin that follow the adventures of the mouse Minimus, who lives at Vindolanda, a fort in the north of Roman Britain, and the family of the fort commander Flavius. Now this was actually a fairly fitting time to be recording this podcast, as Minimus first came into being in August of 1999, so he's celebrating his 20th birthday, even though he doesn't look a day over 2,000. In this show, Helen discusses creating Minimus with Barbara Bell, how it has spread far and wide to places like Brazil and Slovenia, the recent Minimus weekend they held in Vinderlander, the importance of using different media to engage people with the ancient world, particularly school kids, and how it was watching I, Claudius that got her originally into classics. Now, before we get into the episode, just want to say a quick thank you to those who share the podcast online, especially on Twitter, like Caroline Lawrence, Ryan at Greek History Podcast, check out his podcast as well, and David Meadows at Rogue Classicist. And as always, thank you for listening. And now, on to the show.
1: Um, everything goes to pot, so you do a lot of catching up.
0: Yeah, is that is that for the actual uh, Minimus project, or is that for teaching just in general? I was just going to say, good. I find low like, with teaching that people don't realise how much work that you still have to do in the summer and during the break times. So, like, it isn't actually, it doesn't actually really ever stop. No, it, I mean, there's all the next year's planning, but um, Minimus, there's there's been a lot because we had um, we had the. Vinterlander weekend at Half Term, up in up at Winterlander, obviously. So there's been a lot of things I need to catch up with, collecting up the photograph, putting those up, doing an awful lot of the things that was inspired to do by meeting all the people up there and all the children who turned up. So, yes, I've got quite a lot of things, minimus things to do. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at their website and I was... I mean, I was really impressed. Like the whole thing seems to have become a bit of a, almost like a movement in some respects. I mean, it seems to have grown tremendously. Like I see, like on the website, is it Minimus in Africa, and it's reaching kind of almost across the globe, and it's become. I mean, just to kind of sort of take it back, how long has Minimus been going for now? Is it the two thousands that you started in?
1: Well, interesting. Actually, this is perfect timing because the book was published. The first Minimus book came out on. 24th of August, 1999. Oh, wow. It's our 20th anniversary. Oh, well. So, it's no longer the anniversary of the Pompeii eruption, apparently, is it? The 24th of August. I think that's, they reckon, October now, but it is Minimus' birthday.
0: Oh, happy birthday to Minimus. (laughs) well,
1: um, and I, I was looking back at how I got into it all, and... A couple of years before, before that, um, when Barbara Bell, who's, who's the actual, the author, was first putting her ideas together to do a primary Latin book, uh, and I met her at a, um, a teacher's conference, a, a Latin teacher's conference, and I was brave and said, if you do this, if you need an illustrator, uh, any chance? Um, and really, went from there. So the first bit of it, we we did the whole test version. We did, or knocked up on my first, my first PC. I had to buy that so I could do a minimus yes. book on it. Uh, and I was running the original illustrations. They were, Barbara was faxing them through to school. And they were coming through these great massive scribbled on, factors and I was sending them back with drawings on some way before internet actually worked or email actually worked anywhere near school.
0: Did she so did she actually send you what she thought the drawing would be, or does she just send you like that a bit of a script and just give you kind of free reign to, to illustrate that as you see see fit? Uh,
1: yeah, I did pretty much have completely free reign. Um, the the first the original chapter one that came through was like five times too big to be a chapter, and we, both of us have had it. Was been a complete um, interesting learning process of how well, we, we knew very little about the publishing trade, but also trying to work out what how to break a story down to make it a, a comic strip, and how you you'd have to trim it down so you could get um, a story told across six or eight frames, and there's some of the things that just won't work. Uh, so you know, there's a lot of, of back and forward, and you no, know, Barbara, we really, truly can't have that. It's not, I can't draw that. Oh. But it's been yeah. a very interesting process, learning how how to get the story told, stories told like that. And, and I got some, um, we had everything, all the pictures went th- Checked by various people. Lindsay Ellison Jones up, up at Newcastle checked all of them for oh, yes. um, archaeological accuracy. I had a couple chucked back. No, that broom is wrong. Huh. Uh, Leopardina's earrings can't have those. Um, and then, so that that was one set of corrections. And then we had. One of the pictures, when it was checked through for the American market, um, I had one picture that was chucked back because they thought it was rude because they had two frames, and if you had a really filthy mind, you could think that the slaves were staring at um, Pandora's bottom (laughs) in the next frame. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll just turn this picture around. Nobody over here would have would have thought of that. But,
0: uh, I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? Like as something expands uh, and it goes into different different markets, different areas of the world, uh, do you do you find then actually you've got to tailor it to some extent, as, as, as or does it kind of remain relatively uniform regardless of where it goes? Well,
1: actually, it, interestingly, we so we did our the original one, um, and then. We did, they did one for the Italian market. So there is Minimus in Italian where it's Latin and Italian. And that's very different because um, the way the Italian school book market is. So that has come out as a single, both the first and second course book have come out as one quite big book. And they've shoved in an awful lot of extra grammar and exercises. And I had to redo some drawings. I think they moved the family um, to Italy at at one stage, so I had to do some more pictures of there. But um, otherwise, we didn't have to do too much altering. When we... There's a Slovenian version.
2: Oh, nice. Which
1: was extremely random. And I don't know, I think I had a few drawings for them. Uh, And again, they they shifted things over to um, Emona in Slovenia. I'm
0: not. Pannonia? Somebody's going to rectify my It's it's Pannonia. Yeah, no, it must be Pannonia. That's my kind of area of the world. Slovenia, 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 lots of Mithras in Slovenia. Imona, but I'm not even sure it isn't on this map that they've very carefully drawn of Slovenia. Thanks. <laughs> um,
1: so that yes, that was and then when we, we there's also a version in Portuguese that was done for the Brazilian market, and we didn't actually have to do anything to that. That was okay. they just you know, the Cambridge University Press does handles all that um, the rights. And
0: I'm only really involved if they have to change drawings okay so the uh just to, to quickly sort of outline it as well, so what is in a nutshell what is Minimus? um as we've kind of touched upon already i mean it is a it's a it's a book series for for learning Latin directed at at primary school children, well, actually, I I've just explained it myself there. But, <laughs> but um so how did you come to focus on, first of all, the main character being Minimus, the, the mouse. Where did that come from? And also the kind of world that he inhabits, because it's Vindolanda that it's mainly based around, as you've kind of already mentioned. Why why Minimus and then why why Vindolanda as well? How did you kind of build the, the world, I suppose, might be the question. Well,
1: Barbara had actually settled on using Vindolanda before I was involved. They, they'd toyed with doing... Um, something to do with the Bire tapestry at one stage, but that reckoned there was far more material with Bindalanda. Um and I think it was Barbara's daughter that came up with we ought to have a cat and if you have a cat you need a mouse. Um, but he, he has rather taken it taken on a very much a little life of his own since mm. then. Um so yes it is for the the book one is for seven seven to eleven. It says, and then there's a second book for slightly older pupils that are heading onwards. And then last year we actually did a, a, a little book for even younger children, which has very few words of Latin, but it's got the characters, um, and it's about Vingilanta. And we had so much fun doing that. Cambridge have uh, they published the first the main books? and the teachers' resource books. And then they've basically said, we don't really want to do any um, auxiliary materials, so you could do them yourselves if you like. So we've done three sets of little tiny um, readers, mini books, um, which have been great fun to do. And then this little mini musculus um, for the youngest kids and... We've moved on enough that I, we could do that completely ourselves in-house. So I've learned enough about the process that start to finish, you know, we, we wrote it together and then I did the illustrations, the layout, the, all the rest of it. Um, and I'm very, very happy with it because I've had, you know, the, the, the proper creative control over what was going on. But I, that seems to be popular with little tiny people mine. Hmm. So my, my my little granddaughter's a great Minimus fan.
0: So yeah, I was going to say, how do you feel about the overall widespread positive reaction to the series? As we were saying earlier, it's spread like far and wide. I mean, is that something you ever would have envisaged twenty years ago when it first started? No, not at all.
1: <laughs> um, it's it's brilliant. It, it really is. It's, it's very lovely. We we had this big weekend. This. May, up at Vinterlanda, which was amazing the two sites the Vinterlanda site and the Roman Army Museum, they'd put on a whole weekend of, of activities, they had uh, Barbara was doing little lessons and I was doing how to learn to draw Minimus and I had a, um, I had Minimus the, 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 the model and all his stuff uh, they gave me a big display case to put all his things in. It was fantastic. Um, and we had all kinds of things going on. And um, my granddaughter was there in character as Rufus, the little boy, uh, in a ginger wig <laughs> and tunic all, all weekends, charging around with the mouse. But that, that was fantastic. And one of the things that absolutely made it for me was. Two of my um, pupils from school, we're down in Suffolk, um, who, who've been to my Minimus Club this year, they specially made a trip up to Vinterlanda over half-term so they could come along. Oh, nice. this weekend, I was like, OK, that's, we really are having the, 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 right, the right effect if I've got my children that excited about it.
0: Yeah. It's such a unique sight in terms of british archaeology not even romano british archaeology but the the level of preservation and the stuff they found there i think it's very interesting how that's all kind of come together in terms of you've got you've got the archaeology but you've also got the the classics the language and it's and it's being brought together in a way that as you say is is very accessible and i think also in a very creative way as well um i i mean this is something i Talk to a number of people about one thing I found is that a lot of uh, people now who have gone on to become archaeologists academics or whatever when they were younger they they read something um, yeah particularly I suppose it's mainly reading I think as we move forward I think more people probably talk about things like tv programs and stuff that had an impact but particularly now when I talk to a number of people books they remember when they were younger seem to have had like a tremendous impact on them like it sometimes it's not entirely maybe direct but there's almost this kind of thing that's somehow gone into their subconscious i've I've brought this up repeatedly on a number of episodes recently because it's what i've been working on but i've been looking at Bridgard kipling and his his stories set in roman britain and also uh he did one in set in antioch as well where there there were mithraic initiates in them and i've come to actually realize how I mean, first of all, when, when Kipling published those, I mean, he won like, the Nobel Prize for Literature around that time. I mean, the influence that he had at that time, it was tremendous. But even now, it still carries on. In Neil Gaiman's American Gods, there's a, there's a little bit in there where people are talking about Mithras. And then when I was looking up, I realized that Gaiman is actually a tremendous Kipling fan. So he's, I mean, almost certainly like his kind of ideas about Mithras have probably come from more from Kipling than they've come from any actual scholar or anything. But it's very interesting, just the, sh- the the level of what we're exposed to when we're younger and how it affects like our perceptions of the ancient world. I, just, I know. I just, I just think it's. I just think it's, it's very interesting. I, I suppose actually, one thing thus far. I mean, with with Minibus being twenty years old, do you ever hear from any people later on that have uh, that kind of grew up with it at all? Yes, yes, yes. Um, it, there, I've well, I've got a few children that i taught minimus to who have gone on to do
1: archaeology or or classics at university mm. but yes it is, it's fascinating it is starting to filter right through to the to the grown-up levels um but going back to what you're saying about vindalanda I and mean, it, it we went there as children before they really started
2: in fact maybe before they dug up the tablets mm. um would
1: have been the 70s um but I've been back a few times, and it's that is such an inspiring sight for children. As you said, with these the tablets and all those amazing objects that have come up. Mm. Um, one of the absolute high points of the, doing all this, after the book came out, so there must have been... Um, very early two thousands, we were we were up at Vinterlander, um, and in the book we have a... There's a the story in one of the first books where, um, with hindsight, I have no idea how we came to write this story because it's bananas. Um, the The dad Flavius, the the commander, is and the older son Julius are showing off the weapons to... Dad is explaining why the thirteen-year-old doesn't know what a sword is. I don't know. Uh, and Rufus, the, the little tiny one, is there, and he's getting into all sorts and, and poking himself with sharp dagger something. And, and it's a. I think Julius and Flavius need a little bit of a lesson on looking after the small child. Mm. Um, but it finishes off with that they managed. He gets hurt and he cries, and then the British slave turns up and scoops him up and, and has made a little wooden sword for him so they're happy or he goes to play with Candidus. And there we were in the museum a year after the book had come out and there is the new excavation things dug up and there's a child's toy wooden sword. Yeah. And they dug it
0: up after we put it, after I drew it in the book so there, there was quite a lot of screaming and jumping about huh. in the museum. But it's things like that. But... Yeah. It's interesting it's... enough, just to, to, get, to get back to I mentioned Kifling, in, in his books, Puckapooks Hill, uh, he has the 30th Legion stationed at Corbridge which at the time was purely just a guess on his part and then a few years later they actually dug up an inscription which had the 30th legion recorded as being at Corbridge so it's it's funny how those things kind of play out like it does there are occasions where you sort of do something but you you sort of think like oh that that would sound quite good or that'll work and then suddenly a few years later like it suddenly pops up in the archaeological record it's it's funny how those things come about One of the things that struck me looking online as well talking about the different directions that Minimus has gone in and one of the things I have to ask about is that you recently had Minimus the Musical going on? Yeah, that that was Barbara's baby, that one, Um, very much. And and she had an absolute blast with with that, with um, taking... They took it abroad, they took it to Geneva. Wow. Um, That was amazing. Um, I mean, that's one of her... um,
1: Apart from classics, she's also very... Um, into musicals so that was one of her um projects so it's interesting we've we've gone off in our own separate directions I my um apart from doing the the, the website and the peripheral materials which is what I do I I have the, the mouse <laughs> I, I made the mouse um and it started off with here was he was my little wire and felt Minimus, and he's it he has he ended up having like a few objects, uh, you know, a sword and a shield, and, and he now has an entire hamper of stuff, uh, big hamper of stuff, and he has a girlfriend as well, and I make things for. Well, he has a very smart pair of little Vinterlander boots with. No, oh wow! Little hobnails. Um, so that tends to be what I do. I'm do you, not like uh, extending minimus. It's like making more things.
0: Yeah. I mean, as I said earlier, though, it's, it's it's fascinating because essentially what it is, it's almost like world building. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it is essentially the same as when you, I don't know, look at for example, Marvel or Star Wars. In in some respects, Minimus also kind of reminds me slightly of when Jim Henson first started doing things like The Muppets. You know, these kind of characters, they're created, and then they take off. But then there's this very kind of organic process where you start off with something that's quite small, like a character or a small group of characters, but then things start branching off in different directions. And then suddenly, here we are 20 years later, as you're saying, and that you have this whole kind of... Network and this whole per- everything around them, like this whole context in which they they reside has been just built up and I mean you must look back with that on that and have like a sense of wow and also it must feel like a great sense of kind of accomplishment to to create something like that and see it take off and feel that you've made something like that and the world that they inhabit and it seems to resonate with people, like it's been very successful and there's almost that intangible. I think you can explain it to some degree where, I mean, you were saying about... Or it's gone to different countries and you've had to alter it so more local to where the the, the, the readership of that area uh, would understand. But also at the same time, like I think there is an element to it where you can't quite explain it. Like why those kind of characters just take off, if that makes mm-hmm. sense.
1: It, it's interesting. Um, listening to some of your previous podcasts and how you've, you've talked through how people got into classics in the first place... Um, and I, I was having a little think back, and when I was that sort of age, or when I was at prep school, we had we did Latin with this very eccentric book called Latin with Laughter. I don't know if you've come across it. It's um, I think the, I couldn't even work out when how old it is. It's uh, 1931, and it's it's bonkers. Huh. It's, it's got silly drawings. Has very simple stories, but they're, they're crackers. There are oh, the farmer kicks the cow in the ditch, um, and it's it stuck very much with me. And um, I think all of my teaching has been draw silly pictures. If you can't get something across to the children, that's the way to do it. And um, I've done that. Ever since I started teaching, was um, um, if I can't manage to explain something, draw and, and you know make it silly rather than there's not an awful lot of Caesar and his legions with mine. It's much more um, wasps and frogs and cows, hmm. uh, but it sticks. You know the the pictures.
0: Yeah, um, that's interesting. Yeah, because at much. university level as well, like, I uh, teaching that I find that a lot of a lot of my lectures, i not drawing stuff myself, but just I insert like a lot of GIFs, like animated images and stuff, like a lot of the time kind of ripping on like pop culture. But that does seem to actually resonate with students as well. There's something about that visual, I think, that kind of visual kind of stimulus that goes with it, particularly one that they can actually find kind of funny or they can, as you say, like relate to as well. I think that that has an appeal. And, and I have had students mention to me as well that they... They actually kind of realize as well, like putting that stuff in, that you thought about it and they kind of appreciate the effort that's gone in there as well. That you haven't just chucked like a bunch of bullet points onto a plain slide and then be like, here you go. You've actually tried to make it a bit more kind of fun and a bit more engaging. And that, that, you know, as I say, like they realize that you've actually taken the time to do that. And I mean, like saying, a gift doesn't take that long, but just like doing that, they're kind of aware of the fact that it's that you that you find this stuff interesting enough to, met, to put that effort in. And I think that's always one of the keys to teaching it. You know, Students, I don't think are stupid. I think if they're being taught something by somebody who clearly doesn't really find the stuff that interesting, then they're not going to necessarily engage with it because they're going to sit there and be like, well, why should I engage with it if the person who's teaching me is a bit indifferent about it? But if they think that you're actually really invested in it and there are different ways of going with it, because I think that's the thing. And I think that's the very interesting thing about the whole minimus... Project of what you've done Where you've got You've got the website you talk about The musical I saw as well That you've got the links To the myths being read out On Soundcloud Is that actually Part of the Minimus project?
1: It's um, It is It was done for us uh, It's the myths versions That we've got in the books mm. And they were recorded And I put them all up On, on Soundcloud And we did actually Try and make a um, A DVD version if, But I think I, I'm not even sure If anyone's that fussed about um, you know, I think people do uh, access it directly online. As, uh, is a is normal thing to do now, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Reading the myths, that was a... We did want to get a pronunciation guide up online as well, but that hasn't quite materialised. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think one of the things we've been aware of is that we're, we're very much um, helping people who aren't necessarily latinists so having somebody reading the myth so you have not to worry about pronouncing all the tricky names or um, there are audio versions of the, of the books you know there was a, an accompanying well it was a cassette and then a, a CD so the story's being um, read out uh, well read out in character so again for people who aren't um, specialists who are worried about how to, how to pronounce Latin. Um, um, I think those did okay. They had, certainly not, not, not as much... They haven't um, been as popular as the books, but um, I think they've been quite used by school and minimus clubs. Um,
0: yeah, it's interesting, just because I was saying the way that you've basically utilised different media... To put stuff out there, like using SoundCloud, using the website. I mean, you've got the the standard books, but the the books themselves are kind of a mixture of illustration with the text, and then you have the Vindelander Weekend, and the, there's all these kind of like different ways of, of reaching people. And I think that's one of the things that I guess, I mean, personally, I think I'd like to see a bit more of. I think now the technology has become democratized a lot more than it used to be, things like YouTube as well. Like I mean if you want to make your own documentary and upload it onto YouTube, you can. And I mean you've just got to put the effort in. And I, I see a big appeal in utilizing different media and I don't know, just creating a body of work which is varied. I mean I like writing articles or, you know, I'd like to write another book at some point. But at the same time I'm having a lot of fun doing the podcast and going into YouTube is something I'd like to do, I think as well. That's a way of reaching a lot of people that perhaps you wouldn't do through more traditional means. I mean, certainly when it comes to academia, how many people are going to read that article that you publish or even like that academic book, which costs like over 100 pounds? Thanks a lot, bro. Um, You know, it's these ways like podcasting, YouTube, etc. They are ways of reaching people, uh, as I say, that I think go beyond traditional media. And as such, you maybe reach people that traditionally wouldn't have engaged with the subject so much.
1: I I've certainly been trying to use Twitter um more. I took over the Twitter feed from someone else on our team who was too busy and uh, she was putting out all sorts of little bits and pieces of Latin and I said look I can't do that i do this is what I do is pictures. So I do extra I do a lot of extra drawings for Twitter or pictures with the mouse the, the model. Um I did a whole serious I, I think I did about 150 um, verbs, just yeah. Latin verbs with the mouse. So he had I had him weaving and and jumping and all sorts of things. But it, it um, when I ran these together as a film at the Vindalanda weekend, I realised I'd got children sat there watching this sequence of Latin verbs and just reading them out. I thought actually that's a that worked and I've been doing little bits of animation, I'd like to do more, because I think that's another really immediate way of mm. getting Um it's, it's not hard to do little tiny bits of animation for social media. I mean, I, trying to do a sort of large-scale one is way beyond my uh, abilities or, or patience. But little 10-second... Animations, Um, I've managed a few now, got ideas.
0: Yeah, animation is just, I think animation is is one of the best ways to go forward. But as you say, the problem is that if you want to do like a 10 minute animation, like you're probably going to have to go to an, an actual company and pay them a tremendous amount of money. Yeah, but I mean, like you say, like doing the shorter ones, that is a way of doing it yourself that in itself can still have a tremendous tremendous impact because actually i suppose when you add them all together and you say like was it 150 of them that's <laughs> a pretty that's still pretty substantial like that is still an awful awful lot um to get to go through so put that all together that's a lot for people to actually uh, engage with and take on board
1: and it is possible to do just i mean my animations are all done on my smartphone okay. i have you know i've try to work out it it it, it used to be something you needed really specialised equipment for uh, and really complicated software but it's it's so straightforward now to make something like an animation or or a comic strip
2: Mm.
1: on the fly you can um, I've got a a nice little workflow where I can do a sketch on on anything Photograph it on my phone. I've got um, a couple of drawing apps. I've got a couple of um, layout ones where you can stick in interesting text and frame things up, and then you're away to go. So I can do that in in between lessons. You know, if if something comes up that I want to um, post. and keep you know with with keeping minimums on his, the social media i there's a couple of um regular Twitter challenges there's one in um in October where there's a, a, a put up a, a drawing every day of October and I've done that for a few years but I do mine in so that mine are all in Latin. Um, and then the first of February there's a, a comic, an hourly comic challenge and again I think I've done that four years, three, four years. Um, And I think I'm I'm probably the only person who's doing that in Latin. Um, But I've been able to do that completely on the phone, posting these things or setting them up on a school day. Um, And it's made all all those things possible that really wouldn't have been ten years ago. Twenty
0: years ago, when we did, when we started off, yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think as well how probably another ten years' time, or even five years' time, of the way things change, that stuff will probably become even easier to, to do as well. There'll be other things that will come along that will make putting out there, doing things, creating things, even more straightforward. As I say, because I feel like now we're we're in this page for for better or worse, where it's you know social media in particular has allowed us to disseminate things in a way that. You never would have been able to do before and share things. And I mean, there's talk now even at, at university about things like how we assess students and, you know, moving beyond essays and the kind of traditional kind of formats of, of tests as well. God, tests, I hate tests. Uh, <laughs> moving beyond those and actually kind of looking towards well, what else can we do? Can we get students to, to make something that's actually a bit more you know, engaging with these different media now?
1: I think, well, I think you you need to, thinking back to, um, I've just, while I was digging for things, I found a essay I did in the sixth form, um, and it's beautifully handwritten, uh, with, I think I've st- stuck in some pictures out of a Sunday supplement, um, and then looking back to my PhD thesis, which I did on one of those Amstrad word processors with the green screen and the horrendous dot matrix printer. And the the hassle of all of that and trying to do footnotes when you had multiple little files because the thing couldn't cope with a big file of words Uh, and how different it is for young people writing essays now um, where it's all... It's all there, all one document. But then you have the problem of how easy it is to um plagiarise and how difficult it is to filter all of that out. You do need mm. some other way of assessing.
2: Yeah. Because
1: just sending in an essay is it's not just it's not enough now, is it? It's not
0: No. I also think though it, it's also in part, it's just to do with the fact that different people learn in different ways as we've been yes. saying as well and different people have different, well, I suppose, talents is one way of putting it or just people engage with things in different ways and I think you know, essays are great for certain people in the same way that exams are great for certain people but even between essays and exams, they're not necessarily, some people are very good at essays, they aren't good at exams and then vice versa but then you'll find there are other kind of more creative things that you can do which suddenly people that aren't good at either of those suddenly come into their own through doing it. And I think obviously as well, that's quite important for student confidence as well uh, in engaging with things and and, and probably enthusiasm as well. You know, I think it's a natural tendency if you're not very good at writing maybe essays or doing exams that you're just going to look at it and say like, why should I bother if I'm not going to, you know, if I can't seem to get, if I can't seem to develop those kind of skills to the extent that I need to. But then actually if you give them a different way of, uh, expressing that then suddenly they're like oh actually like this is my this is the thing that I'm good at and I think some students probably don't even realise they're actually that good at utilising other media until mm. you actually get them to do it I mean just to kind of go back though I mean so what drew you to to studying well studying the classical world and, and it's led you to this point now
1: I think probably the, 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 the key thing for me was I Claudius <laughs> uh, which um, yes that, that was out when we were um, I think I, I don't think I was maybe doing O levels by that stage but that was very um, very much a right that's what I'm going to do um, I was doing languages anyway uh, uh, for A levels but that that's what decided me right this is Latin again we're, we're going this way so yes the, the amazing TV series.
0: Even to this day, it amazes me watching it. One, because he has Patrick Stewart with hair. Exactly. Uh although no, he's wearing wig, he's <laughs> definitely wearing a wig. Yeah, I, I just think Derek Jacoby, because he's playing uh Claudius again in the Rotten Romans horrible history film that's just come out. Looking but, forward to that. But uh he uh I just think he just did such a good job of Claudius. Like I can't I mean I can't imagine Claudius now without imagining Derek Jacoby. I mean, I talked before on the podcast about the fact that I still can't. I'm afraid with those things that you always end up having at least one character where you're like, and mine was always Brian Blessed as Augustus. I never quite that was Brian Blessed is not ever how I imagine Augustus. Sean Phillips as Livia was incredible as well. Brian Blessed, no, it doesn't didn't work for me in that way. That's interesting. Going back to what I was saying earlier about how TV shows moving forward have. Uh, increasingly now I think will have a big impact on people I mentioned horrible histories but I mean for me like growing up the big thing was horrible histories the books but since then there's been the TV series they've had their own musical as well now they've got the film Uh, it'll be interesting to talk to people in 10-15 years time uh, in archaeology academia ancient history whatever and see how many people grew up with horrible histories uh, in that media and see how big of an effect it had because I imagine it's going to be pretty pretty big actually Obviously, that they've done the Rotten Romans film, and I'm guessing that's not... They haven't just thrown a dart board of different historical periods like they chose to do the Romans because, for some reason, they, they must have known that was going to have significant appeal to their audience, which is good for us. It's nice to know. <laughs> yes, but yes I, I, I do think
1: that, that it's what helps the children remember... A couple of years of I've had Year Sixes as, as my class. So they're they're studying the Tudors in their in their history, and the rotten Roman, the the um, horrible histories. Henry VIII song about the wives works every time. <laughs> uh, but you know that that sort of thing, if it, if it doesn't matter how silly it is, if it sticks sticks the ideas with the children, that's brilliant and provides them somewhere to
0: bounce off to the next level um yeah because that's the thing i think some people i know some people can be critical of that stuff sometimes but i think some people forget that some of that stuff is a it's like a gateway it's it's not designed well i mean it can be you know if people read that and they stop at that point then fair enough but there'll probably be a lot of people um like myself for instance since we read horrible histories when they were younger but then went on to actually want to to study it and have gone from there. And you know, I look back at horrible histories now, and and I look at the Rotten Romans book, and there's a page in there about Mithras, and a lot of what he says is actually just wrong. Um, but I mean, in any case, like that doesn't really matter so far. Like along the line to me, I mean, it was just initially what what got me into it, and it was, uh, and I think that's probably the same for a lot of people. I don't think people do just read that and stop there. They go on to stuff that is perhaps more. You might say scholarly or, or, or more informed, but I mean, you know, when you're like a ten-year-old, you don't necessarily want that at the time.
1: You you need to grab interest. You need to, and you need to be excited about the subject you're trying to teach. I think that I'm sure that's why mine managed. You know, the, those of mine who've gone on to do Latin, there's no way I'm letting any of my kids say Latin's boring. <laughs> Uh, when I started teaching um, i had I inherited my department from my department it 's just me i from somebody who was who retired and uh was very much like the old school teacher and I think I could have done anything, and the children would have thought it was an improvement but i said i'm i 'm not having you saying it's boring, so we are yes we're going to do Dressing up and doing stupid things and um, and drawing comic strips and whatever. If it if it interests you and it keeps you um, pointed towards you know the Romans, Latin is actually interesting. It's cool. Don't even think about being bored. Um, and I think that's
2: that's been my direction. Usually works. Well,
0: that's the thing. I think uh, you know. With teaching, my, my kind of idea of it is it is it doesn't matter how much you know about the subject and it doesn't matter how your kind of status, you might say, in the field uh, when you go to teach. If you go and teach and the students sit there, you don't make it interesting for them, you don't try to engage with them. It doesn't matter what you're saying to them because you've lost them already. And there is an element to it and I know some people would argue that it shouldn't necessarily be this way but unfortunately it just is so they should get over it. But I think there is a part of teaching which is actually kind of entertainment you you've got to bear that in mind because you know I'm not saying you have to stand there like juggling or something for students, but doing stuff that is going to to entertain them is, is is the way of making them learn. If they're just going to sit there and just be bored, then because you're just doing the same thing over and over again and it's not that interesting or it's not that exciting, then you know unfortunately it doesn't matter. I mean I think having been involved in the subject for for a number of years, you kind of get to a point where. You're naturally just interested in it all anyway. Like you know, you pick up stuff and read about it, but that's not going to be the same for a teenager or, or particularly somebody like just doing primary school as well. Like you need to retain their retain their attention.
1: Yes, you you have got to engage the, the children's interest, and you know, yes, I do a lot of the you are now going to learn this list, but also, and you can draw little pictures all down the side of it, and mm-hmm. you know, if you if you all behave yourselves, we'll go outside with the with all the bamboo garden canes and play Roman soldiers giving instructions and throwing javelins. That usually works. (laughs) Did have to sit somebody out because they were not listening and they were running around in front of the javelins. No, you're a bad soldier, you're dead. (laughs) You're puppets, puppets we like.
0: Um, Um, Just to to ask about your own, like... Obviously, we just mentioned there about your background in in classics. Um, but how about the so the drawing side of things? How did that kind of develop? Was drawing something you just did from a young age, and it just kind of carried all the way through? And
1: basically, yes, I've always drawn on things in things. Um, I didn't actually do any formal art qualifications at all. It was you're not doing art, it's a waste of an O level. Um, but I've always drawn on everything. I've I dug up a old um, Latin paper from school and I've got I've illustrated all down the sides of it. Um, and I I've, I've always done that. I draw in my choir music. I find it's a lot easier to explain things with drawings. Mm. It's just something I I've always enjoyed doing, so Minimus was absolutely perfect for me to, to um,
0: carry on what I've doing already, which is, you know, using drawings to explain language. But um, yes, I've I, I drawn as long as I remember. Where you've been doing Minimus for 20 years now, has the actual art style of it changed over time?
1: Um, I've managed to um keep Minimus looking more or less and the people looking more or less the same. Um I think I the workflow speeded up a bit. Um I I'm more efficient at actually um putting a a cartoon story together. Probably changed the drawing tools a little bit. Um but I don't I don't do my I think the drawings are quite recognisable. Mm. Um what's quite unnerving is i I found a comic strip I made when i was at sc- in, in, in i must have been in the fifth form at school, so mid seventies um about a Roman person joining the army and it's quite recognizably my drawings hmm. you know? it's like oh dear i have really haven't my drawings have not changed over that.
0: Yeah. I think there's something to be said for that, though, in terms of just to go back to Horrible Histories quickly, because I know, I can't remember the guy's name now. I mean, Terry Deary writes them. I can't remember the name of the illustrator that he usually has. I know that on occasion there has been different illustrators and you can tell the difference. Like if you read the, where they did like the Horrible Histories special books, where they had the Kings and Queens one, which was thicker, Um, that was a different illustrator. But by and large, it's the same illustrator throughout. Martin Brown, that's it. Um,
2: yes,
0: recognizable he's got a, yeah exactly like when I think of horrible histories there is a very clear art style that goes with it uh as i say they have varied it but because he's done so many of them uh when I think of horrible histories I can imagine right now how a horrible histories Roman soldier or a Roman um, how a horrible histories celt or Viking or whatever would look like it's a very particular art style and i think you know that kind of that continuity actually is probably in some respects is probably quite important because i guess it's kind of part of the brand i guess really as well like it's it probably would if suddenly someone came in one day and started doing the illustrations like took over from you and they were just done in a different way it'd probably be very disconcerting for people like it would be very weird i
1: i I, yes i think my um the 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 drawings and the The book are very much tied and and not separable. Yes, I know um, Barbara said, you know, if we, I think she would love to do a third book, but um, that's again, she said, not without not without the drawings. I'm not sure that will, not sure that's ever going to happen, but um, it's one of the things we've got on our wish lists. But uh, yes, I think that uh, there's plenty of mileage yet in the drawings.
0: I mean, talking of wish list, uh, just to kind of touch upon, as we bring towards a close, um, we've kind of talked about this throughout, I guess, but, I mean, do you have any thoughts about where the the study of the ancient world, where you think it should kind of go in future, like avenues to kind of explore? And, I mean, particularly as we've been discussing utilising different media, or I suppose in some respects, things that you'd like to do yourself. I mean, you mentioned about possibility of a third book, but... we talked about animation as well. Are there, are there any other things that you've got in mind in that regard?
1: Well, animation is my top top of my pile, um, and I'd like to do more more little stories. Um, I I really think that, that this one of the things that I've liked seeing most recently is, is how the, the classics has opened up mm. to um, different style, different. Media, different ways of teaching, different um, ways of looking at it. I think that, that, that's really interesting. I went last September on a, um, a conference in London on classics and comics.
0: Oh, okay, i gone to do that oh, okay. It was wonderful. Um,
1: it was just really exciting seeing the two worlds of, of comics and classics put together in, in different ways. Um and I, my response to it was I drew cartoons and live tweeted those during the course of the day um, but that's that kind of thing I thought was was very interesting you know seeing all the different connections and the different ways that classics is um, able to uh, interpret you know different interpretations different,
0: ways of looking at it Mm. yeah I mean it feeds back to the most recent guests on the podcast having Liz Gloyne on and then having Ben like talking about their work like Ben talking about Star Trek and the classic world Liz with a uh, book about uh, the reception of monsters from the classic world that's coming out and then ages ago when Giacomo Savani was on the podcast Giacomo does a lot of drawing and a lot of illustration as well and, and he finds that very much a way of I mean, he really likes, as you've been saying, being able to combine that kind of interest that he has, particularly in things like drawing and short story writing with his own academic work. And I think, yeah, I think overall there's something to be said about, as I say, I think we've really touched upon this anyway, but I just think there's something to be said about, I think classics and like the study of the ancient world and, and archaeology as well. There are like a whole myriad of ways to be creative with it. And I think being creative with it, it gives you a very a large sense of reward. I, th- I find that it's, you know, there's something, there's something definitely to be said about doing things in different ways. And that, I don't know, I think overall does give you an overall quite positive feeling as well. I, I guess yes. it, I guess one way of putting it is it doesn't stagnate. Um, it, it, you know, you keep kind of growing with it, and yeah, and the ability to kind of bring your own interests into into your, into uh, what you do in that regard uh, is also of, of massive benefit. And again, I think as well that encourages other people to get involved in the subject who perhaps traditionally otherwise maybe wouldn't have been. Uh, one of the things I like most at this conference, we have a session. Um, looking at how uh, archaeology can
1: be um, done as a graphic novel or Mm. done as a a comic strip Um, looking at a site or looking at the process of archaeology and and that was fascinating Um, just all sitting down and putting together how you would tell the story of this excavation as a a comic strip Mm. Um, and it's again making things more accessible to a, a different audience um, which I think is great, you know, and, and absolutely all for getting younger people, really, you know, kids involved in um, the language and in archaeology. I think it's all it's
0: all good. Mm. Mm. Hopefully, hopefully, the general feeling I think from talking to people is that we're moving in the right direction, maybe very slowly. Okay, well, I mean, just to just to round off then, I mean, have you got anything that you would like to? To to advertise at all. I mean, we mentioned your twentieth anniversary of Minimus, but have you got anything on the on the horizon that's coming out that you would like to to mention?
1: Well, we haven't actually. I mean, the, the Vinterlanta weekend really was our our, our big event for. I don't know how long. Well, that was a wonderful thing. I think um, it's quite likely that they're going to be doing more more of that sort of thing. So no, there's there's nothing. Actually, cooking at the moment, but um, just watch 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 the Twitter space, Spaces. Usually, the
0: what is the uh, what is the uh, Twitter Twitter handle that people can find you on?
1: We are, she said. Just checking. We are minimus underscore Latin.
0: And uh, and what's the uh, what's the website where people can check out all the minimus uh, news and um, all I mean, the stuff we mentioned about? It. It's got the links about the musical and the the SoundCloud.
1: Uh, You'll find us on Minimus.com.
0: Minimus.com, cool. Um, Great, great. The poor website is due a big um, rewrite, but I haven't quite got that far. Well, as you say, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, juggling teaching and at the same time doing this, this kind of project which has taken off and become so so large i mean i was saying earlier about you know even just doing the podcast on a weekly basis at times i'm just like ah too much stuff like i can't imagine like what it's like like juggling it all but but yeah but it's still going though it's still going and still still growing it just needs it because because things
1: that the actual web and and what what you know things don't work that used to work because the um
0: The internet moved on, and they don't use Flash now, and so half my lovely interactives don't work. So, got to redo them. I will say one thing, actually. I saw on the website that you you have about a couple of animations that you've done of the Roman mosaics, and I saw you had the she wolf from Aldborough on there. Um, that is my favourite Roman mosaic. Um, yes, I, love that. I always show it to, whenever I do Roman art, architecture, or Roman Britain. It definitely always comes up because it's just so great. Like the she-wolf in it, who just looks so happy and also very creepy, but so happy at the same time. Just, just my favourite, favourite one from the whole empire. So seeing it animated was great. I loved it. Uh, I'd
1: li- yeah, I'd like to do one of those. I've got the, um, I did the Venus, that that fantastic uh, Rhyton Venus with the mirror. Um, and the one I really want to do is the unswept floor with the little mouse but it's on the the to-do pile
0: okay right well thank you very much for this well thank you
1: thank you very much
0: Thanks for listening to Coffee and Circuses. The Roman poet Juvenal once said, people will be content as long as you give them bread and circuses. But if I'm going to talk to somebody, I'd rather do it over coffee than bread. You can find me, David Walsh, on Twitter at d underscore j underscore Walsh, or contact me about the show at coffeeandcircuses@gmail.com. at gmail.com. That's with full and don't forget you can subscribe rate and review the show on itunes and spotify big thank you to the institute of classical studies who support the podcast via one of their public engagement grants the theme tune is la Cahora by royal music available for download at freemusicarchive.org and in the background right now you can hear an 8-bit version of the indiana jones theme by miles metal originally by john williams but you all know that which is available on youtube Thanks again for listening, and remember, it's better to be a gladiator than a diocletian.